Hosting and bandwidth provided by the Blue Box Group. Check them out at bluebox.net. Hey everybody and welcome to the Freelancer Show, episode 63. This week on our panel we have Eric Davis. Hello. Jeff Schoolcraft. What's up? I'm Charles Maxwood from devchat.tv. We also have Reuven Lerner. Hi there. We also have a special guest and that's Curtis McHale. G'day. So I'm going to have Reuven introduce himself first and then we'll have uh, Curtis introduce himself. Sure. So uh, I'm a web developer, mostly doing Ruby on Rails uh, and Postgres stuff. Uh, I've been freelancing since 1995. And I would say I divide my time between actual programming and uh, consulting and then an awful lot of training as well. I teach a lot of courses. Oh, and, and I live in Israel, which you might not figure out from my accent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we have three time zones, four time zones <laughs> represented on this show right now. <laughs> And uh, Curtis, you want to introduce yourself? Sure. I'm Curtis McHale. I actually started, I guess, many years ago now doing some front-end Rails and, and Ruby stuff, but now I pretty much only do WordPress work. Um, yeah, that's what I do. I've been building sites for building sites and stuff since 96, I guess, was when I started dabbling in it in the midst of a psychology degree. Yeah, I have to, I have to say I uh, remember listening to you and Miles on the Coder Path podcast Mm -hmm. yeah that's when i was doing most of it like i was saying uh earlier just before the show i went to mountain west and did a bunch of stuff but the work did not come in as front end rails so i needed to pay the bills and that's what i did that makes sense Mm -hmm. so i'm a little curious i I, where we got you on here to talk about wordpress but we also got you on here to talk about your you know consulting in general so how do you wind up making that transition did you just take the work that was coming in and that was WordPress or was there more to it than that? Yeah, well, I had already started doing, I guess I had started with WordPress and I went to the local Ruby Brigade mainly because it was the only programming thing out here. I know Miles and I in the old Coder Path talked a bunch of times about how we live in this little tiny town and there's not a lot way out here. So I'm about, if we have no traffic or good traffic, it's like two hours from Vancouver Mm -hmm. and there's not a huge tech scene out here really, especially in kind of WordPress with what I did. So I showed up to their local rail Ruby brigade and they said, so what do you do in Ruby? And I said, I hear it's a web language. Doesn't 37 signals build something on it? <laughs> That's like, I literally had no idea. I had stolen my wife's Mac because I had like a really old PC tower and and we set up on Rails. Awesome. Yeah, and so I did some of that, getting connections and then I know WordPress just kept becoming more and more and more what I did and not Ruby, so I didn't sweat it. Yep. I, I guess the next question is, is uh, what what is it that you do with WordPress? Most of what I do is build things that don't exist. So I, often there's a bit of a, like a theming or the blog end and the pages just to make the site look like it should. But a lot of the projects I build is, like I said, building stuff that don't exist. So recently for a corporate trainer, I built a tool for his uh, companies. So he can divide his company, uh, the people in that, up into teams. And those teams can get points based on their comments. And we have a whole kind of interaction so he can make sure they're following up on their um, like on their ways to break corporate rules. So I built that whole system, really, I guess, an application for his site based on WordPress. That's wild. So mm-hmm. you're, you're basically treating WordPress as a kind of a framework? Yeah, really a web application framework. I mean, it has like user management. It has custom content types. It has any kind of taxonomies you need already, right? And then it has, I guess, the user management is 
divided in WordPress into roles and capabilities. So you have an administrator, but an administrator can do tasks A, B, and C, right? And the next level down can only do B and C, and the next level down would have only C. So it allows us to define all of that easily. And the nice thing is there's so many plugins even. So for the uh, corporate management one, I took a plugin that allows, uh, allows you to earn points for comments and modified it so that we could have points in a different way. So we didn't have to build the whole point system necessarily. We just had to you know, spend three or four hours modifying, modifying an existing one that had a whole UI for him to administer it already. Cool. Mm-hmm. I, I want to get into uh, what you use to run your consultancy. Okay. I started, I've been using billings by Market Circle for a long time to do all my billing, but starting this year, I decided that it was a pain in the butt to send an invoice out on PDF and then go into PayPal and do another one. So I actually moved over to Ronin is what I use for my invoicing and time tracking now. And I've had a bunch of even long-term clients that I had starting five years ago say, this is so much better now. So that's what I use for all my invoicing. Uh, And then for my project management, I use Trello and Evernote actually combined. So I had tried a bunch of different other stuff, but that's kind of what I've settled on right now. Mainly Trello because it's free and Fog Creek has enough credit that I will rely a business process on something free. And then Evernote I pay for as well. Nice. I, I like Evernote. I haven't really used any of these other ones. Yeah, I didn't use Evernote really until this till January again. I had dabbled in it off and on as like an everything bucket. They often called and I hated it for an everything bucket. I just... Yeah, I could search something and find it within a minute or two anyways. So I just didn't see why. But what I use it for, like I'll send my emails out of Google Apps to it uh, for a specific project and tag all the projects. And I'll send kind of any files I need to as a pro user. Like I've uh, uploaded like a 100 megabyte database yesterday, just plugged it in, zipped it down and then plugged it in so it's smaller. And so I have all of that in one spot. I'd like to eventually be scaling up to have other employees and other people working with me. And then Evernote has a, a business package where I can you know, allow certain people into the each notebook based on clients. So then they don't need to go find everything for a client. It's just all in one spot and easily searchable. I remember Evernote being just a text thing. I guess you can upload images to it. Mm-hmm. I, I'm trying to get my head around exactly how you would use it to manage a project. I, I guess you just... Well, it's document. more... It's more of a storage for all the documents we need, right? So even now, kind of beside Skype, I've got the Ruby Freelancers checklist. And it's got the PDF that you sent me. And it's embedded so I can read it right there. It's fully text searchable because it was OCR'd. And then above it, I just typed in the three or four uh, picks that I have for later. Oh, nice. Uh, So it's fully OCR'd. It'll OCR images, right? It'll... I find it way easier to find stuff there, really. I often keep it in a folder and file as well, but it's faster for me just to open up Evernote search and then find what I want. Um, It's got enough kind of advanced operators that you can search by client and then I can kind of narrow it down to the file types I want or whatever else I'm looking for. And it's way faster than finding it even with the good uh, kind of Google Apps Gmail search. It's way faster um, in Evernote. Yeah, I've done similar with Dropbox, but it doesn't have all the nice search features you're talking about. Yeah, and I store like I store all the kind of the files also in Dropbox as a backup, just in case I ever decide Evernote is terrible. Mm-hmm. I must say I've seen lots of lots of people use Evernote, and I never actually understood what the advantage was above and beyond just being able to sort of search text or store other files. So the fact that it automatically OCRs things that actually makes it sound kind of attractive. 
Yeah, now that might be a pro feature, but it, mm -hmm. at least in pro at OCRs and at OCRs images as well. So like, yeah, I'll even take, I use Evernote Hello now as well, which is for business cards. So if someone hands me a business card, I can take a picture of it and then even hit the find them on LinkedIn button and it'll pull everything in off of LinkedIn. And I don't even have to, I only have to make sure the email address is correct and it'll get me a picture and everything else. And then from there, you can just send it over to um, your contacts on my iPhone. I was going to say, um, one of the nice things about Evernote is that it has all these neat little apps that hook into it, like Evernote Hello. Um, mm -hmm. it, there are a few other ones that are kind of neat looking, but that's the one that I was introduced to that had the real wow factor to it. Yeah, I played with the food one and some of the other ones, but Evernote Hello is the only one that didn't get deleted shortly off my off my iPad or off anything else. So, Yeah, looking at Evernote, it looks like Sketch also will push stuff to Evernote so yeah it will uh, sketch is okay I actually use napkin for that type of stuff to they bought, screenshots right because Evernote bought sketch uh -huh. a while ago maybe a year ago but yeah I never used it before like before it was the original sketch and everyone says it was way better uh, I just find napkin to be faster easier to use although I hate the little napkin they put behind it so behind yeah, all sketch your pages. Sketch was nice, and then Evernote bought it, and there was a nerd, nerd uproar, and everybody moved off it to other stuff. Yeah, well, they, they changed some of the workings, and we can talk about that maybe at a later time, but like, I couldn't just sign into it the way that I did, and it added some... Anyway, there was a little bit more barrier to it, and I didn't like it. Um, it's interesting to... Uh, sorry, it's interesting to use Evernote for your email, because that's my... On the phone or the tablet... On the iPad with Gmail, search sucks. Where you can't find any messages that haven't been downloaded and then you've archived on the server. It says it's going to go search on the server and maybe I've misconfigured it, but search for me in mail on the phone and the iPad suck. But Evernote seems like that would fix that problem pretty easily. Yeah, I find it to be pretty good. So it's even, I have, I uh, use Mailbox on my iPhone. So I just set up a folder to send everything to Evernote from there via ift as well. If this, then that. Huh. So what do you like about Ronin versus some of the other ones out there? I know that uh, Evan's a big fan of FreshBooks, and I've been using Harvest for a while. Is there something about Ronin that makes you happy? I had looked at uh, somewhere back on my blog, which I can find later. I wrote a big review of Harvest and the things I didn't like at the time. And the FreshBooks pricing has never sat well with me, limited by number of clients. If I remember correctly, that may have changed, and I haven't looked at it in a while. So I didn't like FreshBooks for that reason. And I got a good recommendation for Ronin and started using it in December and on the trial, and then decided that it was good enough. Do you have to deal with multiple currencies? Because that's something I deal with all the time in Israel, and that dramatically reduced the number of programs I could look at. Yeah, and it does it. So I have mine, I'm in Canada, but I have mine defaulting to US because probably 80% of my clients are US. And I just grab a drop down and pick. I wish it allowed you to set currency by client. So I could say this is a Canadian client. I always want it in Canadian or in US. But that's really the only two currencies that I deal with is a US and Canadian. Even for other international clients I've had, like in Germany or something. Harvest, right, I believe, that lets you set it by project. Yeah, it's that said in all sorts of ways. That was one of the reasons why I started using Harvest until my accountant found out and he said, you are not to show the Harvest invoices to anyone inside of Israel because apparently you have to get government approval to have software do invoices. So okay. now I have like Harvest for keeping track of time and 
the actual like local Israeli thing for keeping track of doing actual invoicing, which is a shame because I really actually like the multiple currency handling and harvest as well as many other things. Yeah, you set it by project in Ronin as well. Like I said, by client would be way better. So because I have you know the three or four clients that are they're in Vancouver or they're in Ontario, and I just need it to be Canadian all the time. But I have to remember. Luckily, they're all long-term clients at this point, so I've sent them a U.S. invoice, and they just write back and say, hey, that was U.S.A., Curtis. <laughs> and, I, <laughs> and I go, oops, sorry. And it's like, I just go in and like click a drop-down and change it to Canadian and send it back out. That's interesting. So you, missed, you missed the CRM show, but you I know you played with, what was it, Daylight also from Marcus Circle for a while. Do you still use that? No, I don't use that. Again, I wrote a fairly lengthy review of that, and... I have to think now. There's a bunch of just rubs that, like, the lock-in, all your data is only there. You can't get it out. It's stuck in in their system. It's a per-seat license of, like, 250 which I guess isn't that much when you look at, like, a software as a service. But I just, I don't know, didn't like it. And then their sync via Wi-Fi to your other devices was just, it's dumb. That's, I don't want to have to make sure everything's on the same Wi-Fi network. And so I stopped using it. I still get emails about that. I got one yesterday asking me what I use instead, which is Trello and Evernote. <laughs> so you use Trello and Evernote for your CRM as well? Yeah. Yeah. So the biggest problem with Trello at the beginning was it's so wide open that you don't even know where to start. Um, yeah. So I have a bunch of lists now, and I have to think of them exactly, but it's like prospects, book to call, estimated, and then follow-up, like long-term follow-up, say, for another agency I know that has overflow work sometimes. So I'll just ping them every couple months if I'm looking for some extra work. And then I have kind of a one lost. The bad thing about that is there's not really a great way to, like, hey, let's get all my lost projects out here and see why, right? There's not a good way to, to get that. You can tag things, but it's just kind of a colored label. So there's not great reporting. That's something I don't love. But it works yeah. for now. Like switching systems all the time is of no use either, right? So, you know, if I get through Trello for a year and there's a bunch of real terrible pain points as the business scales, I'll look at a switch then. But I don't think that at this point it's a big deal. Yeah, my problem is is I, I used Highrise for a while, and I, I didn't get into it. You know, I didn't really use it on a regular basis, just because it felt like I had to jump through a whole bunch of hoops to get my process in going. And and then I've signed up since then for um, Salesforce, and and it's got like way too many features. And really, what I want is I just want some basic process management, like what you're talking about, that says, you know, I you know I I've talked to them and I understand what they want. I've estimated the work. I've you know I've got the contract and I've got a retainer. You know, and so I can just check the boxes and and work through the process. And uh, these things they just you know, they just have way too much going on for me to really be able to use them. So I'd really love to see your, your process for managing them through Trello and Evernote. Yeah, that my Trello post is almost done and it makes short mention of um, Evernote in it. And it's got kind of my recommended workflows for how I am dealing with these things as well. The biggest thing that helped me with Trello is when a friend of mine that was using it just screen shared with me and showed me his all his client projects and everything and how he was doing it. And then, then I saw, that's how we can use this. This is excellent. Yeah, because I've tried so many. Podio I've tried. And again, it just seems so wide open. Like, you go and look, and there's so many different options for how you can set things up that I just forget it. I'm so, going to spend five hours to try and find something that doesn't work, and then I'll spend five more hours to try and find another one that doesn't work. 
Yeah. So Trello is one of those things that I've heard a lot about, and it sounds like it's worth investigating, but is it something that it's just for you and the people working on your team, or does it also expose information to the client so you can share documents or project planning? It's You either let someone onto a board, so in a big project, a whole project should be a board, or you don't. So once they're on that board, there are no private comments. Um, there's no private stuff like you can do in Basecamp. Um, it depends on the project. I have, you know, some that's just a very basic WordPress theme, and I'll create just a card for that project. There's another, I guess, another spot where it falls down. I have many, like I'll have boards for some projects has its own board, and some is just in the main projects board. So I have a main projects board that kind of just follows. This is the ones I have on have coming up. These are the ones that I'm doing right now, and here's the ones that are done, and then here's the ones that are paid. So again, there's no. I was thinking about this this morning. There's no big overall view of how many projects do I have going right now? How many hours or how many points or however many, like how long are these things going to take? So how long am I truly booked out for? That's something that Trello certainly falls down on for me that I've been thinking about and trying to find some way. I would switch if I could find a way where I could have like, here's all the projects I have and this is how busy I really am and I need to stay on track. Or, you know, instead of guessing that I'm booked out for the next three weeks or four weeks, which is partially what I'm doing, is uh, actually have some real metrics to gauge that. Yeah, that would be interesting. One other question that I have, you're talking about how long you're booked out. So do you just go off of like how long you've estimated it's going to take you to do the work for your clients? And do you just stack them back to back to back? Or do you ever work on things concurrently? How how do you manage all that? Uh, Right now I'm stuck working on things concurrently. One of the big projects I was working on had a way more infrastructure than I originally realized. So even stuff like Friday, I was supposed to uh, get all their recurring emails going to remind people of phone calls that are coming up for their coaches 24 hours after they book it and then an hour before it happens and all this stuff. And I just thought, are you guys like, is there anything in place to log all these emails instead of emailing all our clients off the development servers? Because I've already shut down all the outgoing email from my servers on my laptop, but not and I suddenly had to build that. And there's been many things that didn't exist like that um, infrastructure. So that project has taken so long that it's running over top of other projects right now. I have five on the go, which is not what I like at all. I'm having a hard time trying to shut this one big one down so that I can concentrate on all the other ones, though, unfortunately. Really, I guess, mainly, I look at what I have and this is how long it should take, and then I pad a bit, but it feels more like a guess than actual real stats and metrics. So if there aren't any other questions about your consultancy, and I'm sure that we'll come up with more, I'm a little bit curious about just uh, consulting in WordPress. Um, This isn't something that I'm necessarily going to do myself, but uh, it's always interesting to know how the the consulting space is out there. So uh, I'm wondering if you can talk for a minute about how you find clients and just just the general way that uh, people approach projects in WordPress. At this point, I'm really lucky that I know a bunch of other good developers and I'm on a you know 10 or 12 developer kind of sh- sharing lists for projects. And most of them are core WordPress contributors. I think I'm the dumbest one there. But so I just get projects handed to me most of the time, like even to the order of like 15 and $20,000 projects. Someone calls me and says, you know, Tom said you were good. Tom doesn't have time. Let's do this. And that's <laughs> like it's a two day I estimate on it. And they say, OK, let's go. Here's your deposit. When I started, I trolled the jobs boards everywhere. I was on Craigslist. I had a delicious bookmarks list of all the places I looked, and I looked and looked and looked just to get any money coming in. 
at this point, I couldn't even tell you the last time I really went looking for work because when someone emails me, it's a large project and I say I can't take it on for a month and a half. How long have you been consulting for? I have been doing this full-time, got to be halfway through my third year now, full-time. And I was doing it for two years before that on the side and doing other development in-house uh, at different shops. I guess a different uh, in-house, so a paddling shop and then a, a Christian ministry up here. I did for that, did that. So, so if somebody comes to you and says, hey, I've got this project and I want to, you know, I want you to build, I don't know, some widget for my WordPress uh, website. Um, what's the process you usually go through with them to uh, figure out, A, if you want to do it, and B, um, what it's going to take to land the client? First off, we always clarify, right? I had one where they wanted um, some sort of Google Analytics thing, and they didn't couldn't tell me what plugin they were using for their shop already, and they couldn't tell me a lot of other stuff. So I said, I need to know all these things before I'm even interested. And when it came back, they were using a terrible e-commerce plugin that just has terrible code called market press. If you can avoid it ever in any project, don't use it. And I just said, no, they're not interested. Yeah, I tend to have a fairly good feeling about people now. So I just say no if I don't want it. Um, past that, I assume most full, most site builds include like a blog uh, and the word, normal WordPress pages. And then we start to scope it out. I'll usually, um, if the project's big enough, I'll even share a Trello board or some sort of scoping document with them so that we can say, these are the proper scope items. Generate a re- an estimate in Ronin and they accept it and we figure out things from there. Awesome. So uh, the other question I have is related to, you said you're on a list where people you know share leads and things like that. H- how do you connect with a, a list like that? How do you make those friends? In that instance, I I just got invited to it. I was... I don't know, I guess one of the founding people of it. It includes people, I guess, like Mark Jaquith, who is a very well-known in the WordPress field core developer and a few other people like that. I guess I originally got on it because I got headhunted by the guy who started it. I can only remember his Twitter handle. I think his Brad is his name. And he runs a, a company in on the other side of the country here in Canada. I was just looking for Canadian WordPress developers. So he called me many moons ago to see if I wanted to work for him and we've maintained talking since then. So I didn't end up working for him because he found someone else who he can improve their situation more, who was working in-house for someone else and hated it as opposed to working for themselves and saying that they wanted all every Friday off to go biking, which is what I do. <laughs> nice. So yeah, I just got on that through them, through through Brad. And then most of the people on the list, I, I know well already. We've emailed or I, you know, they're well known well in the community. Most of what I do now is kind of odd enough that even when you look for a way to do it online, there's no way or there's some, you know, some guy three years ago posted something about it, but that's not even valid because it's so old. So, you know, I have a a core group of people, many of which are on that list already that I would say, hey, how do you think you'd approach this? And they may email me that as well. So it's very rare that what I build normally is talked about anywhere for me to take a look at. I must say, that's just like amazing to me because obviously, like, I know people who use WordPress. I use WordPress, but like, actual application development with WordPress, am I wrong in thinking that that puts you in a very small minority of WordPress developers as opposed to the folks just like, I'll set up your blog for $50? Oh, absolutely. Um, but it's been growing and growing. I've been using WordPress as kind of an application framework, much like you'd use Rails for, I guess, a year and a half, two years now. But 
when I first started talking about it a bit and even on Twitter or on any forums, there was nobody who did it but me. And now there's five, six, seven people who do it. In fact, about probably 80% of them used to do Ruby development actually and have now moved over to WordPress because they love the platform so much. Interesting. Yeah, actually, in a past life, I, I started in PHP and worked in WordPress for a while. And I built a couple, what you would consider an applications in WordPress as plugins. And, you know, knowing Rails, I basically ported all the Rails conventions and layouts into WordPress. I had to write a lot of my own code for it because there's nothing around. But yeah, you can do it. It's, it's interesting to look at it that way, but it actually works quite nicely once you get it figured out. Mm-hmm. That's the biggest thing. There's, it seems to me, and this is probably a PHP thing, that the quest for code quality is much higher in the Ruby field than it is that we see in the WordPress field. And I'm not even talking about just getting things to work sometimes, because sometimes that's all you ha- can do is get something to work, right, when you're under deadline. But even, I know probably a few years ago, I almost left the WordPress community because I had just got in touch with uh, Rails and was talking with Dan Cub, who does Data Mapper, about uh, performance optimization. And so I started investigating in WordPress what's the proper way to get our scripts in a footer. And I was told by a fairly well-known WordPress community member that I was basically a moron for even thinking about that and you'd never do that. And <laughs> yeah, and I kind of sat back and scratched my head and I was like, I know Dan's pretty smart, right? Like, I don't know a ton, but I'm pretty sure Dan's a smart guy. And and he you know, handed me like nine different books on the topic that I had already gone through. And so I have found that there's often more of that resistance or there was. Now, most of the people that I interact with on a regular basis are yeah, are really having a good quest for code quality. Some of the say good. Some of the good people to follow for that is Tom McFarlane is a great. He blogs um, a ton about that, and I can grab you that link as well. Um, he blogs a ton about WordPress as an application framework and code quality, and yeah, he's just excellent. I'm curious as someone who, I mean, I've done PHP projects here and there over the years, and I've played with WordPress a bit, but most of the people I know who sort of move from doing blog creation in WordPress to doing applications, they use uh, Joomla or Drupal. I mean, I know that's not like the focus of this conversation, but I'm just sort of curious, how would you compare these systems? Like, what's, what are the advantages of WordPress? I have used Joomla twice, and it's for my cousin, who said, hey, I, I need help getting my site done, and I helped them, and I said I would not help her anymore. Um, that's my experience with that. Um, <laughs> honestly, that's my experience. I finished it twice and said, I don't care if you're family. I am not doing it, even if you offered to pay me my regular rate. As opposed to family rates, I will not touch that ever again. Um, I'm going to second that because I used Joomla and then Mambo way long time ago. And uh, they were like, I used WordPress in the early days and then I tried those. And I, this was when I was an employee. I set up a couple company sites using them and I ran away from them as fast as possible. Like it was so bad. Well, Mambo is Drupal now, isn't it? Or did that become Joomla? I don't remember which one it morphed into. Joomla and Mambo are the the same whatever historic oh, okay. code base. I don't remember which one is the forked community version or whatever, but I got into it right when the fork started, so it was like tons of misinformation too. I'm pretty sure that Joomla was the beginning and that it the fork was Mambo. So, and then my Drupal experience was I was doing a fair bit of WordPress stuff at the time, but not not certainly not to the level I do now. And it was at the Christian ministry I worked at here. And even basic stuff like getting a uh, an RSS feed for a certain, say, category in WordPress was like this, you know, nine day back and forth thing about how to get an RSS feed for it. And yeah, 
it was, I guess what they were looking at Drupal 6 and Drupal 7 had been on the horizon for like months and months and months and months. But yeah, it was just never coming. I don't think that Drupal is necessarily a terrible option, but I think that all the stuff you get for free in WordPress now just makes it, yeah, kind of silly. I don't know. That's my my thoughts. And at the time when I was starting with it, like the custom post types that WordPress has, I was using them kind of in beta. They didn't come out for two months after I had started using them instead of using a Drupal site to do custom content types. Yeah, and so. I think Drupal just has a huge learning curve. I set it up a long time ago on my main site and I had to have a friend who configured his Drupal to kind of walk me through how to do everything. And I mean, it, I couldn't figure out it out right now, even if I sat down. It's it's changed so much and there's so many moving parts in it. I think that's that's why a lot of people use it because it's powerful, but also for a newbie, it's really hard to get going. Yeah, and when I was coming at all this, like I said, I, was, had a, I have a psychology degree. I have a, a BA in counseling technically. And I was learning kind of programming, dabbling on the side because I was always interested in tech a bit. And Drupal just seemed like a big thing to learn, whereas WordPress came fairly easily uh, right from scratch, which is how I taught myself. So, Yeah, the, the documentation on WordPress, because I've, I've done some modifications to my own stuff, it, it's, it's pretty decent. It's yeah, generally the codex is pretty good. I said most of what I build now, I end up having to find or you know search through the source which is not the typical wordpress developers day mm -hmm. one other question i have for you then re regarding wordpress is um whenever they release a new version or things like that are, are you usually already on top of that stuff or does it mess you up sometimes no the new wordpress version is fine i have in fact on my site i have a plugin called auto updater and it just updates everything for me as soon as it comes out and i have never had issues Mm -hmm. I usually tell, say for big clients where we're running, you know, a few thousand users or something, um, we, you know, we're running, I'm developing locally, you're running a development environment, and then we're running a live environment, and we will, I'll upgrade local first on some of them, and, or I always tell my users to upgrade development, make sure everything works, and then upgrade live after they've done backups. But I have almost never been bitten by an issue. That's very impressive. But I guess, look, WordPress is aimed at many, many people who uh, are sort of less technically savvy. And so making sure that's easy to, for them to upgrade um, is probably a high priority. Yeah, it's. I can't count the number of times where someone says, oh, I haven't upgraded because something's going to break. And there are two versions behind. And I look at it, and but something's broken now. And we, I just hit auto-upgrade, and we fixed all the problems. Yeah, the so, other thing is, is that uh, WordPress has become a large enough target to where it, I mean, people are finding security issues with it and you need to stay up to date. And they're really good about keeping it secure and keeping it clean. And so, uh, you know, just, just go for it. If you're using WordPress, just up, upgrade. Yeah, you're, you're way better off, way better off. All the big security issues, you know, we heard about, I guess last year there was a couple fairly quick with like big hosting providers having issues. It came down to the hosting provider's fault. It wasn't necessarily WordPress was insecure. It was set up insecurely, right? Wrong file permissions on a certain file that they didn't think about or something. Um, yeah. So I would say I'll tell clients that they absolutely should. If they're on version 3.4, they should be doing 3.4.1 because that's a security release, right? And 3.4.2 security release. If they want to hold off on 3.5 for you know a week or two, fine. But when... They by the time three point five point one comes out, they better be on three point five already. Yeah, and well, it's it's like that in the Ruby community too. I mean, with Rails, <laughs> one comes out and 
everyone has to upgrade and anyone who holds back is exposed. And especially with like meta exploit and all those automated scanners now, it's easy to just break into sites with, you know, using known vulnerabilities. Yeah. And especially, uh, well, I mean, there are two different things here. Like, one is the, the security issues that we're taking care of, but that not everyone necessarily upgraded. But, you know, upgrading your version of Rails has been difficult in the past. If you're staying within the same version, that's pretty reasonable. But it sounds like WordPress has done a pretty impressive job of making it easy to move forward no matter where you are. At least my experience actually is that. Yeah, I even did, what was it, last Oh, probably a couple months ago, I installed the just the default one-click installer on a host because that's often the easiest and fastest way to install it for a client. And when I logged in, it had installed like 2.2 or something, like a really ancient old version. And I just said, meh, I'll FTP the files over top and hit upgrade and see what happens. And I hit upgrade and logged in and went, okay, we're running. And that was, it was like a five-year-old version. So where the WordPress core software has been very good, there have been issues with stuff like... um WP e-commerce, which started before we had custom content types and even custom metadata on uh, content. And they had some issues when they did the upgrade from their cust- from their own database setup to the custom content types, but they've been on their own, on the proper, I guess the quote-unquote proper WordPress way now for months, for well, probably for a year actually now that I think about it. So I wouldn't hesitate now when we were upgrading from their own database and migrating, doing a whole bunch of table destruction and other stuff, then... It was a little more, a little more iffy if you wanted to do it or not. Yeah, and that's just Chris, general sorry, stuff. Sorry, like oh. if you're if you're doing an upgrade, you know, you back up and then make sure stuff works if it doesn't roll back. And I mean, I, I I can't think of a single project or application that's had some kind of problem with database upgrades. I, I was just sort of curious, Curtis, like if your clients come to you because you are you or because they want WordPress or they just want a solution and they couldn't really care less about the technology involved. I guess at this point, a lot of them come to me because I mean, partially they want WordPress. Um, there are the odd one that says they just want a solution and here it is. And I say, well, let's, you know, I don't see any reason not to use WordPress here. And I certainly have referred to friends that do Rails work in the past um, for something that just didn't seem, that seemed like a big stretch for WordPress. But I even have like, I write WordPress tutorials on my own site, wptheme.tutorial.com. And I've had you know, I did an e-commerce tutorial about how something was broken, and I had a guy call me up two days later and say, hey, that's broken for us. And I see you have a fix, and I see how it works, but I can't do that. And that turned into like a probably a $15,000 contract over the last year and a half, just fixing stuff. Because when we got into his site, it was, you know, 300, 301 redirects to make stuff work because they just didn't know how the WordPress template hierarchy went. Mm-hmm. So I have to ask, you've mentioned a couple of different websites here. You've mentioned... Uh what WP theme tutorial yep. or something. And then yep. you said you have your own blog where you blog about, for example, you said you have one on Trello that you're working on. You have another blog post that you wrote up on uh, harvest. Can you tell us where all of your websites are? Sure. Right now I run, I guess my own is Curtis And that has kind of everything. You'll see some cycling in there. Cause I like road biking mainly. And you'll see a bunch of other, and business and yeah, just everything. And then you can also find WP uh, theme tutorial.com is where I write specifically WordPress theme tutorials, typically around best practice. I actually even wrote a book there um, called becoming a WordPress development professional. And it was even meant for, I guess, experienced rails programmers that need to build something on WordPress kind of as a one-off and they 
can read through the book in an afternoon and they have the at least the road signs so they know they're walking the right path for building something good in WordPress or for the you know the beginner who's building some themes and needs to learn the general best practices. Nice. And uh so how much work do you typically get off of these websites? You said that one one tutorial on there got you a, a reasonably a well-paid contract. Yeah. And then I have another one, like I've even had people be referred to me from someone else. And the one guy I talked to last week, he said he spent like a whole day reading through my own blog just to get an idea of what I am. Because I like I'll state my income on my blog. I state I'm pretty free with whatever. And I've had even clients say, was that post about me? And I say, yes, that was about you. Um, <laughs> At least they're reading your blog, right? <laughs> yeah, they are. Right? Yeah. So. That's how I get most of it. Like my my personal site, I'll actually be moving that over to my own to a business site, I suppose, as my main business driver. Because I'd like to scale the business, and I'm thinking it's a little harder just for my just doing it under my own name uh, mainly. So I'll be spinning up my own site called sfndesign.ca, which is technically my business name, SFN Design. SFN does that stand for something? Some funky name, because I had to come up with some funky name for a design agency. <laughs> nice. <laughs> that's that's what it stands for. Um, right now, that redirects to my personal site, but I'm getting a design and UI done right now for my main, so I can move over to that and kind of advertise that I do e-commerce, custom builds. Uh, I've done in, gone in and done some cleanups on stuff, yeah, where the site just wasn't working, and it's mainly because the person who built it had no idea what they were doing. And then uh, I even like to get into some more staff augmentation and training to come in and help a team write better code and be more efficient with their stuff. Awesome. All right. Well, we're we're about at the end of our time. Are, are there any other tips or tricks that you've learned as far as uh, finding clients or doing good work or running your business that you'd like to share with our listeners? I think the biggest thing to realize is that it takes time, which is, I suppose what lots of people say takes a lot of time to to get to that point i my income between last year and this year had doubled i have already made last year's income so far and i was doing i was living comfortably before but i'm doing much better now it just took time suddenly turned a corner and connected with the right people that referred me work so i was again just out in the, out in the wordpress community releasing plugins helping people out when i could you know even jumping on skype with someone who had a problem that I already wrote a solution for. I don't have time to do everything for them, but I'm here's my code. Go run with it and solve your problem. And then, you know, three months later, they refer a ten thousand dollar client my way. Nice. So that's what I find is pretty much everyone in the WordPress community is very, very helpful. It is very rare that you'll you'll ask for ask if anyone's done something. And if someone has, they'll just say, Oh, here's all the code. Here's that whole plugin I wrote for someone else and, you know, take a dig through it. And here's the parts that will be useful for you for your application. So get out there in the community and, you know, release some plugins, write some tutorials, help people out. That's how I started. Awesome. All right. Well, let's go ahead and get into the picks. Eric, what are your picks? Okay. So I got two picks. Um, First one I just saw randomly reading. Uh, its title is "IRS Cracks Down on Independent Contractors: What It Means for Your Small Business." Um, basically, if you if you're in the U.S., there's you know a bunch of laws around like if you're considered uh, an employee or an independent contractor, and basically if you try to do freelancing stuff and your IRS reclassifies you as an as an employee, you and your client basically get burned pretty bad. 
Um, so it's a post talking about, I guess the IRS is kind of doing a bit heavier auditing of that. So it just has a couple tips to like, make sure that you stay on the right side of it instead of, you know, getting classified as an employee and have to pay a lot of back taxes. So the second one I want to post about or talk about is on the WP engine blog. Uh, it's WordPress core secure. Stop telling people otherwise. Basically, WordPress has a kind of a, I don't know, a lot of people think it's really insecure. And if you go on like Hacker News, anytime there's a WordPress update, that's all you're going to see. But I've worked in WordPress for a while and I've found there's probably been like maybe two or three security bugs in WordPress itself. The rest of them have always been plugins or themes or like Curtis was talking about, like just the hosting provider has something screwed up. And the problem is, is all of those get lumped into WordPress itself is insecure. And so this post kind of goes through and talks about it. And if you if you're doing a lot of WordPress work or very high-end uh, server hosting of WordPress, WP Engine, their blog has some pretty good stuff on there. There's, I just saw a couple more about security stuff, so it's a good read. Um, they have a nice little uh, a picture for the blog, so check it out. All right. Jeff, what are your picks? Uh, so I've just got one. It's a Chrome extension called OneTab, and it was. Uh, it's interesting. It'll take all your open tabs and basically create an HTML document with links to them. And the idea is that if you've got 40 tabs open, it's consuming 40 times the memory of a single tab. So it collapses all the tabs into one and makes uh, an HTML. And you can share it as it uploads the HTML to uh, the OneTab site. I'm not sure if it does it always or just for sharing, but it's an interesting idea if you have a lot of tabs open like I tend to. But that's the one for me. Nice. Uh, Reuven, what are your picks? All right. Well, um, first of all, uh, as you might have heard, Arrested Development is returning this coming week. Uh, and even those of us in Israel who remember the show back from when it was on the air in the U.S. are very excited about this. At least I hope it's worth getting excited. So it's not a technical pick, but I think an exciting one nonetheless. On the technical side, uh, there's a I've been using ZSH for the last, I guess, year or two on my machine. I've been very happy with it. And I've started to see more and more people mention this other shell called Fish, or Ridiculous Fish. It's at RidiculousFish.com. And I was sort of uh, hesitant whether I should use it, whether I should not use it. I still haven't sort of jumped whole hog into it. But I did find a plugin for ZSH that does syntax highlighting while you're typing. So basically, if as you're typing, like you type L, if L is in your path, then it'll be green. And if it's not in your path, it'll be red. And so you get sort of, it's almost like spell check in a word processor. It tells you right away whether something is in your path and whether it's executable. So I found that to be pretty exciting and nice. And the last one is I'm going to be in Beijing next week uh, teaching a Python course. I'm really excited about that. I was there last year teaching. And the one thing that I was really missing was an app for my phone that would do Chinese translation. I mean, I tried to learn a little bit of Chinese very, very, very little bit of Chinese, but having something that would allow me to tell my cab driver, I really need to know how long it's going to take until we get to my flight, which is leaving soon, that would have really come in handy when I was sitting in traffic. So I found this app for my Android phone called Hanping Chinese Pro. And I haven't actually used it in China yet, but I'm sort of hoping that it'll come in handy and allow me to make up for my lack of uh, vocabulary. So anyway, those are my picks. Awesome. So I've got a pick this week. It's just the one, and that is iOctocat. It's an iPhone app. It is basically an interface to GitHub. It does everything except Git, basically. So you can't edit code on your phone or iPad or whatever anyway. 
So, but you can get in, you can see what changes people are making to the projects you're on. You can look at issues, you can look at uh, pull requests, you can do all that, all that good stuff. Really, really neat app. And it's also all open source, so you can actually go see the source on GitHub if you'd like. Um, so I'll put links to those in the show notes. And Curtis, what are your picks? I've got three for you today. First one is that the Kinesis Freestyle Keyboard. I have the Freestyle One. It's a basically a fully split with a tether keyboard. So my two halves of my keyboard are sitting shoulder width apart at any angle you want, and they have risers you can get. And I have carpal tunnel syndrome from many years of poor wrist position while mountain bike racing in my younger teens and early 20s, and this has taken it all away entirely. It's noisy as whatever, though. It's certainly not something you type in when you're trying to podcast. The second one is Unfinished Business, which is a fairly new freelance or business podcast, and it's been... I found it really useful. Uh, I actually, for business and freelancing, I only listen to that one, and then I listen to the freelancer show. That's the only two that I've stuck around. One thing they've talked about a ton is weekly pricing, which I am toying with moving to weekly pricing. And then my last one is the Trello Evernote combination, which we talked about a bunch for running your projects and running your business. Yeah, I'm going to have to see if I can talk you into making a video on how you do some of that. I'm entirely willing. I just need to find some of that time. But I have to say, I have a Trello <laughs> post that I've had. I said someone email me yesterday and say, hey, you wrote about this. What are you using now? And I said, here's the half-incomplete markdown formatted post that you can read before it's totally done with just points and notes in it. And I've sent that out, I think, twice in the last two weeks. So hopefully I'll have the Trello one done this week, maybe next week. Nice. And then the combination of Evernote and how it all works after that. Oh, and there you go. Another request for that half-complete post. So. Yeah, we'll we'll let you guess who it was that asked for it. Um. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'll throw it up in a gist if you want a link to it for what I have right now, and then I'll send you that link. Okay. So so it looks like we have two requests for that half-complete post. So is that a full-complete request for a post or something? That looks like it. Or is um, it a quarter-complete request? I'll take a quarter, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Yes, I'll put that up in a gist so you can see what I have at this exact second, and then I will keep writing it. Wait, can can Ruben get the first one and I get the second one? Like, would that work? <laughs> I'll, I'll get the odd letters. You can get the even letters. Yeah, and then you can do a mind meld. <laughs> yeah, that would totally be a good. I'll figure it out. I'll write a script to do that instead of writing the post. That would be an excellent use of everyone's time. Yeah, you'll base it in WordPress. <laughs> yes, I'll write a whole plugin and I'll spin up a vagrant VM for it and everything. That's awesome. <laughs> all right well we'll wrap up the show thanks for coming curtis it was awesome to talk to you thanks for having me i'm, I'm still a huge fan from uh the coder path days so uh, well thank you i still even from that i had a guy on twitter thank me like two days ago and i thought we haven't done that in you know years now but i know you got to keep an eye on it though because i'm fairly sure something else will be spinning up at some point with miles so yep yeah. All right. Well, uh, thanks for coming. We'll, we'll catch everyone next week.